When we enter motherhood, there is this expectation that this is just how it is. You're never going to sleep. You're never going to be able to focus on yourself. Good luck. Welcome to motherhood. But what if we want more for ourselves? You know, it all starts with our birth plan and the picture that you have in your mind before entering motherhood. What does that picture look like? What stories are you telling yourself about the birth that you want to have? Or is it really the birth you should have? Or if you've already given birth, the birth that you did have. If we're able to understand the stories that we're telling ourselves about our pregnancy or birth experience, how we should be feeling, whether that's from society, friends, or family, if we're able to understand these stories, we are then able to accept the truths, to move through them, and to be more present. You know, we often create these birth plans and this picture of what our experience is based off of what we think we should want, not actually what we really, truly desire. Well, today's guest, Amelia Chris, is a certified coach who experienced this very thing postpartum, and it is now her mission to flip the switch and encourage us to feel radiant in our own skin, to embrace our truths and to rewrite those stories. You're listening to the Mamas in Training podcast, giving aspiring and expecting first-time moms guidance and community for moms who have been there. And I'm your host, Jessica Lorian. However, I'm not yet a mom. An autoimmune disease delayed my journey into motherhood. And so I decided to take this time while I heal to learn with you all about motherhood so that together we can be as prepared as possible. And today, Amelia is helping us prepare and we want to encourage you to consider those stories that you already have in your mind, all the shoulds, all the assumptions. And if our story doesn't go the way that we envisioned, we might feel some kind of way about that. There might be some shame or blame. So let's take some time today to look inside ourselves. And with the help of Amelia, uncover these stories. By doing so, we will feel more prepared mentally, physically, and emotionally for that entrance into motherhood. And newsflash, it doesn't have to be hard, traumatizing, or miserable. But if it is, and you experience that, this is how you can move through this. Let's hear how Amelia felt after her birth experience. It was just a couple days postpartum uh, with my first daughter. So this was like seven, eight years ago now. And yeah, I, I, I remember like we were in that like sweet period postpartum. I mean, I know it's not sweet for everyone, but like our families were so wonderful and showing up and helping. And we had done a lot of like broadcasting beforehand about how we wanted that to go. And people were, people were great. And then there was this moment where my husband like asked me, like really asked me, like, how are you? And I remember being like, oh, you're really asking me, right? And, and I think this is common postpartum. I hadn't thought about how I was doing at all. I was like, oh, there's an I here. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, me, right? <laughs> because I think we have to land back inside our own experience. Um, and it's such a strange thing because 
we have this new being that we are like, you know, wired to be obsessed with and they need a lot of things. So anyway, when he said, how are you? I was like, oh yeah, me. And what I heard myself say to him was, I feel like I just came back from a war and everyone else is acting normal. And, you know, I obviously it wasn't an actual war, right? Um, And there were things in my birth experience that were not terrible and all of that. But it was true on some level for me, right? That I was communicating something that felt emotionally accurate. And, you know, in my therapist brain, I kind of thought that feels important. Like, let's not lose sight of that. Like, we can't deal with that today, but that probably needs to be dealt with, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge piece of how everything in my life and work kind of shifted then if I had to pinpoint it, even though in that moment I didn't really recognize that maybe because I sort of started to, before I understood intellectually, on this visceral level, I was like, I just moved through something that deeply, deeply changed me. And then when or how did you go back and navigate through that? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um... My postpartum time, I think, was not uncommon, but obviously it was my first time, right? So it all it's all new and all different in that sense. And I think what was tricky, and, and I think how I got back in a way, was I started to recognize that even though I wasn't, you know, suffering in a way that needed like immediate intervention, I was not in crisis, and I know some people are, I also was not well, right? I was okay, right? I was functional. I could take care of my baby. I could like go through the motions of taking care of myself more or less. But I, I had thought about like, oh, postpartum depression is a thing, right? Psychosis, anxiety, there's lots of things that could happen here. Like it's a huge hormonal, biological, social transition for people. Like, of course. And when I would talk to certain doctors or certain friends, and I don't think anyone's badly intentioned in this, but basically people were saying like, yeah. Of course you don't feel good. Like, welcome to being a mom. Like, this is what it's like over here. Mm. And so I had this sort of internal battle where I was like, I don't necessarily want to believe the story that it's all kind of like fair to Midland suffering from here on out, because that's what being a mom is, Mm -hmm. right? I was like on a, you know, on a collective and political level, like, I don't want that to be true. I want more for all of us than that. Yeah. But also personally, I was like, well, that's a bummer. You know, like (laughs) there should have been more warning. But also there was a part of me that was like, I don't think that has to be true. Right. I think that's a really thin kind of flimsy narrative that we use to cover a lot of things. Right. Which is like, I mean, on individual and collective levels, it's like it's easy, I think, to be like, well, you wanted a kid. (laughs) And I did. Mm -hmm. And. I wanted support, right? And I wanted it on a practical level, right? Like, I think we live in a society that does a really, like, we revere motherhood as a concept, but we don't back it up. There's there's very little practical support for parents. It's like, good luck with your project. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's that excuse of... Yeah. You asked for this. This is what it is. is what it is. So. Right. Exactly. And deal with it. And I think it's important. You made a statement when you were talking is you made a distinction between this and that. And I think that's important for us to hear because you can be happy that you had your baby and 
not okay. Absolutely. You can be, you know, pregnant and excited that you finally got pregnant after mm-hmm. who knows how long, whatever, and not like being pregnant. You know, you can be all of these things at the same time and which that mm-hmm. and is an important thing. And this topic of it's okay not to be okay, which I'm going to link um, one of my recent favorite songs. <laughs> it's okay not yeah. to be okay. It's I've um, heard it. Uh, is it Demi Lovato and I think so. uh, Marshmallow or something like that? But anyway, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, it's an important reminder that you can be this and that, and it's, it's okay to say, I'm not okay. The, the beautiful thing in what you did and what you ended up coming to is you took your, your professional experience and your personal experience, you merged it together and you are on a mission to support other women. You say this, that this is absolutely beautiful. You are, as you say, a fire starter, a heart holder, and a dream tender. And you work with people to help them feel radiant in their own skin. Oh, what a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing to just sit with for a second. And oftentimes I know, especially when people are going through postpartum or even in pregnancy, they Mm -hmm. don't feel radiant in their own skin. They do feel like they've just been through war. So what are some things that we can do if possible, (laughs) I don't even know how, to prepare for potentially feeling this way? Um, Maybe if we're a mama in training or we're an expecting mom. It's such a good question. And I think in some ways, part of the answer is what you're talking about with this word and, right? Is acknowledging that it's mm. it's all and it can be a mixed bag, right? Like it's okay not to be okay. Right. Like good thing because sometimes we're not okay. Like that's the reality of the mm-hmm. human experience. And there's no, you know, I think... In so many ways, and this is a huge part of the work that I that I do with people and that I did with myself without having a name for it yet, is we tell ourselves these stories about ourselves, about other people, about the world that we often are not even conscious of. Yeah. But they are driving mm-hmm. so much of what we choose to do and not do. But I think part of the way to prepare, right, in a deep way, in a way that's more honest, I think, is to just acknowledge like what stories am I holding about this, right? Like when I look back on the birth plan that I came up with for my first child, I had a really strong story about what the empowered woman, like woke feminist way to have a baby was. I didn't know that. I wasn't conscious of that. I wasn't like, (laughs) but when I look back at my birth plan, that story that I was holding wrote that birth plan, not me. (laughs) Like, I am a person who, when I go to the dentist, mm. I'm like, can I not feel any of this? Thank you. <laughs> right? And, right? And so it's not to say that any of those choices or preferences are good or bad. It's that they're so individual. Mm-hmm. And that I think we give a lot of our own power away when we say to ourselves, okay, well, I've never had a baby before. I've never given birth before. I've never been a mom before. So I guess I'll just, you know take all this stuff that I've absorbed from the culture or my family or my providers or whatever, and I'll decide that that's right. And then if I can't do it that way, because I don't get to control it, then I'll decide that I did something wrong. And I'll have a whole bunch of like shame and self-blame to unpack. (laughs) Mainly because I wasn't conscious of the stories I was telling myself and the stories that I had let in that actually aren't mine, that I don't believe, that I don't want, that don't fit, that aren't useful. 
And I think for many, many birthing parents, they're not aware that they're holding those stories. And they're not even aware of the level of their expectations about that experience or about parenting as a whole, which is another conversation, until those expectations don't get met. And there's a lot of fallout from that that I think is avoidable if we can contextualize the experience. Pregnancy, birthing, parenting, it's messy, it's mixed. It's wonderful, it's terrible. It's scary, it's rapturous. It's all the things. And when we give ourselves permission for that, we can prepare in a way that I think is is actually more real. So now maybe I'm too much of a, a list maker and a, a type <laughs> air, but like, how do we yeah. actually do that? If we don't even know the stories that we're thinking yeah. that we're telling ourselves and we're trying to, because, okay, so one of the things that I say, and if, if you're a listener to this podcast, you probably know this, I say it all the time. Drink from the fire hose is what I like to say. Take all the information in, especially if you're a mama in training. You have this time, this period of waiting. Learn everything. Learn about C-sections, even if you want to have a natural birth. Learn about formula feeding, even if you want to breastfeed. All of these options, just so you're aware. And it's somewhere filtered in the back of your brain. You can just like file save and pull that file out if you need it. Maybe you won't. So that's kind of the idea around it. And of course, yes, we're taking these ideas, these opinions from our providers, from our family, from our friends, from experts. But how do we actually sift through and get grounded with what we want? Yes. And know what the stories are that we're telling ourselves so we don't screw ourselves in the in the end. <laughs> right. It's such a good question. And I think you're right. There's a real practical element to it. So I'll say, I think the first piece is, that, you know, one of my soapboxes is that childbirth education should be expanded from here are the steps of labor, here's how labor might look, to most birthing people experience this as a profound rite of passage. They don't come back the same. And that, just that framing, I think, gives people an idea that like, oh, you know, <laughs> This, there isn't some formula like in school where I'm going to like get to do it right. And then that means I'm going to feel good. You might feel good sometimes, but I think that just that framing is important. And I think that leads us into some awareness of the stories that we're carrying and not even all of them are about birth, right? So how do we, how do we take these ideas, this wisdom and pull it down into something practical, right? Into a list. And mm -hmm. one of the first pieces is this awareness that we have these stories, right? And so one of the things I really encourage people to do is, okay, so you've never had a baby before, or you have, but you've never had this baby before, and all birth and labor is different, right? Mm -hmm. To think about what is your relationship to challenge, right? How do you feel in situations where fear or pain comes up? How do you respond to that? What do you find comforting? What do you not find comforting? Like that we are not experts on maybe the, you know, I'm not an OB, right? But that I have a lot of knowledge right. about what it's like to be in my body and my mind. I, this is not my first rodeo in here. I live in here. <laughs> and so part of what I'm doing with, with parents is encouraging them like, yes, it's both, right? It's beginner's mind. You've never done this before. And it's, hey, you've done a lot of stuff, right? And let's think about that time that you, you know, climbed a mountain, right? What were the stuck points or, or, the, or the things that were really hard in that? How did you move through things that, that maybe felt too challenging in the moment to, to be possible, right? And like, 
what meaning did you make of that? Right. I think that's part of the contextualization that's missing. Like we'll take the, I'll take the hiking example. People climb mountains, not because they want to suffer. That might be part of it. There's some exertion and some hardship. We climb mountains because it's meaningful to us because it changes the story about who we are. And that is what the birth process can be too, right? There's this really polarized conversation, I think, about preparing for birth. And on one side, it's like, it's this medically necessary crisis that needs to be managed at every turn. And like, you just like lay in that bed and we'll let you know when you're safe and good again, you and your baby. Mm. And then on the other side, mm -hmm. it's this hugely like, um, you know, I don't want to say natural birth because I think all birth is natural. And I think it's really important to not categorize any of it as not that. Mm -hmm. But what we colloquially think of as natural birth, this idea that like if you're good enough and if you're like pure enough or strong enough, you get to have this like blissful, amazing, like cloud nine birth experience, right? I'm not saying that those two sides of the spectrum don't happen for some people. I'm saying I don't think it's the majority. I think for the majority of people, it's a mixed experience, right? Absolutely. And, and it makes me think about like when people, let's say they're going to climb a big mountain or they're going to run a marathon. We don't say to them, well, you can walk. Why do you need to train for that? Right? <laughs> like this, like from one side, it's like, well, your body, your body knows how to do this. Trust yourself, trust the process. Right. Yes. And it can be scary. So this idea that we either have to trust mm -hmm. completely or we have to be terrified really limits what's possible for us. Right? Like if you were going to hike a mountain, I would say, I, I would talk to you about like, you know, okay, so... Uh, you know, if we compare it to labor, it's like, okay, so let's say labor's like climbing a mountain. You don't know where you're going or when you're going to get there. You don't know how long you're going to be walking or how steep the incline's going to be. Mm -hmm. You don't know at what intervals you're going to get to rest. There will probably be diminishing rest as you go. And I would never say to you, well, you can walk. Why didn't you spend any time thinking about that? Yeah. And I think that's, and, and the other thing, the, the other thing, right, the medical side, we could think of like, I'm at the bottom of the mountain and they just pick me up in a helicopter and take me to the top because they're like, you can't do any of this, right? <laughs> On the far right. side, right? And I think for many of us, what we need is to be able to, as you're saying, feel both and, right? And to be able to prepare. And as you, and the fire hose is so good too, right? Because it's like to take in the knowledge, whatever knowledge you can. And what you said about, read about cesarean birth, even if, you know, you're hoping that doesn't happen, so big because not just cesarean birth, there seems to be this, like, there's so much fear and almost to the point of like superstition sometimes when I'll interact with parents where they're like, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to feed that thought. Yeah. But then when they get there and maybe a cesarean is necessary or does happen, it's like the absolute worst case version of that because they have spent zero time letting that reality in. And landing in the fact that maybe that could be okay too, even if it's not the ideal. They have to face that in the actual moment. Like, I don't want that for anyone. Mm -hmm. This is such important work that I think, you know, yes, we can set up our registry. Yes, we can design a perfect nursery. Yes, we can figure out how to breastfeed, figure out formula. But the real personal work in diving into what this all means and what is going to unfold, what you're going to go through, there really is for some people a level of, you know, post-traumatic stress that happens. 
Completely. Some people go through just like you said, and it's just the most exhilarating, beautiful moment. And it's, you know, picture perfect, as they would say. But I would say more than not, we're not preparing ourselves and our partners, if we have one, what this is actually going to look like, how we are going to come out at the other side of this and what could potentially happen. So if we do, or if we've gone through something, if it's not so picture perfect, if it does happen and we maybe need some other way of navigating through these emotions that we're then left with, this and that, how can we heal? You work with people and you do something that's called birth story medicine. So can you share mm -hmm. how can we heal through birth story medicine? Absolutely. Um, yes. Okay. I love this work and I'm going to try to keep it brief. And then if you have questions, I'll answer them. Yeah. So birth story medicine is a methodology that was developed by Pam England, who's a midwife. Her work is incredible. Um, and I have another teacher named Denise Sir Almog, and I've learned a lot from both of them. I think the really important thing to say about it also is, you know, it's essentially about exploring the stories that we tell ourselves, right? And I think all my work is about that in some way, which is why birth story medicine, like, is such a good match for me. Mm. And that this idea of telling stories and narrative and our relationship to the things that happen to us, like, that's really what a story is in a way. That's ancient, right? That doesn't belong to, like, the people who most recently taught me it. <laughs> Even though birth story medicine is a particular mm -hmm. application of that, I think it's like really important to say that like th I think that's a human impulse that exists globally and has forever in so many different traditions and cultures. Um, and I think that that's evidence of the way of how powerful stories are. I think we've always been trying to use them as medicine, as lessons, as all kinds of things. So the birth story medicine approach specifically is um, one of the things that's really cool about it is it's typically a one session modality. So I'll see someone for like an hour and we will have done significant work on the birth processing, which is so shocking to me because I've been doing birth processing work for some years. And it's not that it has to be fast, but it is incredibly efficient in that sense, which for postpartum folks is like pretty big. Um, Great. <laughs> yeah, we need it. <laughs> uh, but basically the core of birth story medicine is it's a space where we tell our birth story in a way that's pretty different than I think we normally tell them or hear them. So if you think about the birth stories you've heard or told, you're often hearing or telling what we think of as the medical birth story. This happened, this happened, this happened. I was this dilated, then they did this, then I did this, right? It's not that that's not true, that that's a version of the story. But very often what people are holding on to, what feels unresolved, is not that like on paper version, right? It's much more connected to what do they think it means about them, right? The fact that this happened or didn't happen, or they had this intervention or they didn't. So like what birth story medicine is doing is we're focusing in on certain aspects of the experience and we're really trying to separate a little bit, get some space between what happened and what story are you telling yourself about it? So it's not about me over here saying this is the right story or that's the wrong story or whatever. It's, it's your story. It's about investigating. Okay, so if I decided, right, if I, if I interpreted this moment in my birth experience as I didn't advocate for myself, for example, mm -hmm. and now what's underneath that, even if I'm not conscious of it, is I'm weak or I failed. 
or you failed to progress or you all these words that come in. Right, exactly. It's like, let's change the language, please. <laughs> right. Like, Or it's like, you know, this was my, again, unconscious. But I think a lot of people are like, this was my first like big experience of being a parent and I did it wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And even if that stuff is not super conscious, maybe actually, especially if it's not super conscious, it is permeating our experience postpartum and our relationship with our kids, right? And not to, I don't think it has to be that high stakes in the sense that I won't go into the psych literature, but kids are extremely resilient, repair works. Like we do not have to be perfect for them to be great. But our experience is so impacted by the stories that we are playing on a tape yes, and often not even hearing. But some deep part of us is listening. Subconsciously, yeah. And that's the work in birth story medicine and a lot of the work that I do, but specifically in birth story medicine, the work is to sort of start to uncover this stuff and go like, does this, does this working? Right. And, in, and is this, you know, is this familiar in what ways were you carrying this before the birth? Maybe we don't have to make it about that moment. Mm. Right. And that's, I think where the real roots of like transformation and self-compassion can happen is we start to get aware. And then let's say, I don't know what happened, you know, my baby cries in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, you know, it's like, I can love you and not want to do this in this moment at all. Right. It's that both and again, (laughs) but I don't have to go straight to, you know, in that moment, I, maybe I can just have my feeling like, oh, I wish I was, I wish I could sleep. And maybe I don't have to tie it to the story of like, I'm not cut out for this. I bet other mothers don't feel this way. Certainly in my own postpartum process, I started to notice would I hold anyone to this standard? Like my friends who are moms, if Ooh, that is so good. Yeah. If they came to me and said, like, I'm feeling this way and this way and this way, I would be like, of course you are. <laughs> You're doing amazing. This is so hard. Of course you are. And then noticing to myself that that's not my response, right? Like there's work to be done there. Making the time and space to tune in with ourselves and be with ourselves and treat ourselves like someone that we love and care about. We are not taught how to do that. Certainly as women, as mothers, but I think as people in general, like we are not socialized to prioritize our like moment to moment (laughs) nervous system experience. Um, Which I think can be such an odd thing because in the postpartum time, I mean, certainly for me with both of my babies, the way that they cause us, make us slow down, like the way we have to attune to their nervous system, their bodies, that's the whole game at the beginning. And I think part of it is being able to apply that to ourselves, right? That like, I need to be rested. I need to be fed. I need to sleep. And that's not, you know, sometimes that takes some real practical logistical legwork postpartum, right? Yeah. What help do you need? What help can you afford? What can it look like? But I think that's the piece that's often missing is we are in this deep initiation of early parenthood and we we stop short of applying it to ourselves often. So I think in some ways it's just it's just the really simple level. I mean, I'm I'm all about a journal and a meditation and an affirmation all that, but I think even before that, it's like I know my baby needs to bathe. And so do I. Yes. You know? And just taking the smallest, most basic steps 
to bring some of that care and nourishment to ourselves and to our partners or our families, whoever our support people are. Of course. I think it's also breaking down this story. I think that a lot of us carry that self-care is some kind of like dalliance from parenthood. Right. Because we know from tons of research and lots of personal experience that taking care of ourselves is a huge piece of how we take care of our kids, right? If I am well, if I am regulated and I don't have to be perfect and I don't have to have a great day, but if I am baseline, okay, enough to be present with my kids, that's what our kids need. They don't need us to be perfect. They need us to be there. They need to feel us there. And we have to be, we have to work towards a level of self-regulation and self-soothing and self-care that makes that possible for them to feel. Oh gosh, this is some really deep and scary work. Very vulnerable work, isn't it? What are the stories that you tell or are telling yourself right now? This type of work is even more important than setting up your nursery or creating that registry. So let's take some time on our own or with a partner, if we have our partners, to first become aware that there could be and there are stories and assumptions that we're telling ourselves. And then we can begin to uncover what those stories are. How can we use this knowledge to our advantage when preparing for birth and motherhood? Do you see how much more mentally, physically, and emotionally prepared you might be just by being aware of these stories? And if you've already given birth, then through this birth story medicine work, what are the stories that you are telling yourself about the way that your birth turned out and what it means about you as a person or as a mother? I know it's not easy. This is the real work, but it is so necessary. And I encourage you, do a little bit of journaling around this. And if you're working with a therapist, bring some of these stories to them so that they can help you uncover this in a deeper sense of work. If you do not have support and you want to dive in more fully to this birth story medicine work, you can find Amelia at AmeliaChris.com. That's K-R-I-S-S dot com. And all the links to her will be in the show notes. You can also find a link there to her newsletter for pregnant people where she shares weekly inspiration. This is the way that we need to be supporting each other in this realistic way. It's not meant to scare us, but instead to prepare us for how intense and unknown this experience can be. So I have one last question for you. Will you help support someone that you know by sharing this episode with them? Let's not have our friends say, well, nobody told me, by clicking the share button on this episode and texting it to a friend or emailing it over to a friend, it could dramatically change their birth experience as well as their postpartum experience and the stories that they are telling themselves. Because after all, we're in this together. If you enjoyed the show today, new episodes release every Wednesday. So be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And help us grow our mama community by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That way I know how to better serve you. 
And finally, I would love to connect on Instagram. You can find me at Mamas in Training Pod. That's M A M A S in Training P O D. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together. <laughs>